We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna I mean, just understanding what a can and can do. You know, obviously the interception before the half took three points away from us at least. Um, uh, it's a different game going into halftime, 13-10, opposed to 16 nothing. That's when I, I went back, you know, when I threw to KB, I can't lead them into a split safety. Uh, you know, that's, on my, that's my fault, you know, and um, I have to continue to get better and understand what's going on around me. It's Coach McDermott, just, you know, he calmed me down and he understood that I was frustrated and I knew I shouldn't have done it and I did it. And he says, no, we, we can't do that. It's just real subtle, you know, he, he understands that I'm a rookie and I have growing pains. Um, at the same time, I hold myself to a higher standard, so I don't care if I'm a rookie or been only 10 years, it's something I can't do. Uh, it's something I'm going to learn from and, you know, I'm not going to do it again. Welcome everybody to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Josh Allen. From his post-game interview at BuffaloBills.com. Jesus, Chris. That was not fun to watch at all. <laughs> what a day, what a day, what a day. I had more fun getting uh, motherfucked by you at 10.50 in the morning because I was 10 minutes early. <laughs> Folks, there's a lot of ways you could describe what happened to the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. But I honestly think Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park said it best. That is one big pile of shit. How was everybody else's Sunday? How are you doing? Me personally, I yelled at Chris at 10.50 in the morning. Because for those of you who don't know Chris as a person. Who likes to be on time. When you say on time. when That's you tell 10 minutes someone early. To, when you tell someone to come to your house. You know that person that you have, you all have in your lives. Who, when you tell them to be somewhere at a certain time. They can't help but be 10 minutes or 15 minutes late. Chris is the polar opposite of that. He can't help but show up 15 minutes early, no matter what you tell him. So I'm here 
shirtless with a vacuum in my hand, and Chris walks through my front door talking. Ah, he doesn't even knock. He just walks in. He's like Kramer. He just stumbles into my house. But I have way better hair than Kramer. Oh, my God. I hate you. Folks, how was everybody else's Sunday? Mine was pretty great. I mean, albeit the Bills game aside, I had a beer draft. That was fun. (laughs) What is that, you ask? Well, that's what happens when you know a friend who works as a manager at a local beer distributor. Said beer distributor doesn't know what to do with their breakage, so they pallet it up, they shrink wrap it, they count it as loss, and then they sell it. Well, guess what? My friends and I, who all tailgate together, decided it might be in our best interest, not just just mechanically, but also to our wallets, to just buy a pallet of beer. But you don't really understand how big a pallet of beer is until you see it, or until it's taking up... A third of your garage. Chris, you saw the the amount of beer that was coming out of the garage as the d- beer draft was going on. Yes, what did I you t- think? Yes, I took a case of Colt 45 <laughs> and a case of Seagram's, Jamaican Me Happy. We had so much beer, we had to give it away to the neighborhood. Now that's, according to my drunken neighbor Todd, who helped me unload the truck. Think about this. My first impression on the new neighborhood I just moved into I'm the guy with a truck that's literally riding a foot and a half lower than it should be with a pallet of beer in the back of it. And I'm slowly backing into my driveway. And the whole neighborhood is out just watching this happen. And my new neighbor comes running over with his friend to help me unload it. Well, it should be noted that was the first thing you moved into the house. Literally your furniture. (laughs) Not your furniture. Not your new bed set, couches. It was beer. My new neighbor, Todd, who is a notorious drinker. He's just like me. We're going to get along like two peas in a pot. He even told me there is no better way for you to have moved into this neighborhood because now everybody knows you're cool and we all know what you're about. (laughs) So Sunday was fun. I got to hang out with my friends. It was kind of the first instance of watching again. A couple of my friends came over. It was nothing huge. It was just a bunch of people. There was a baby there. I mean, Chris was impressed that I wasn't shaking the child while holding him because <laughs> the bills were on. It was great. Sunday was epic except for the game. Except for the game. And then, Chris, I wake up Monday morning and I, I just, all of these things that are happening now throughout the course of the week, and I guess that's where we're going to kick off this week's Bills News Update. where the Patrick Mahomes narrative started, but it needs to die. I'm not talking like, oh, well, it needs to be put to rest and we all need to get over it. No, it needs to die the way Billy Bats in Goodfellas died. Stabbed to death in the trunk of a car and buried on the side of the New Jersey highway. That's where it belongs. Are you kidding me? I don't even want to have to talk about any of this. And yet here we are. Here we friggin' are. My timeline, my timeline on Twitter, I expected Monday, I expected to see all this anti, you know, Monday I expected to see a lot of anti-Bills stuff. And I saw a fair share of it. Tuesday, 
I said, okay, maybe those fans that I think are a little more advanced or fans that I, you know, we follow or that get retweeted by people we follow, because we're all Bills fans. Everybody kind of circles the same. We're all in the same flock, even though we might not all be friends. Maybe everyone's just, okay, putting a little more intensive research into it the way I do. They're starting to pick apart things. They're becoming more intelligent as far as what went wrong, and maybe they're not so mad. Or maybe they focus their anger where it really belongs. Instead, Tuesday, it was nothing but Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes over and over and over again throughout my timeline. Facebook posts. Oh, I'm going to call WGR and complain about complain about Patrick Mahomes. Tuesday morning, I turned on the radio for 35 seconds. I made the mistake of tuning into sports radio for less than a minute. And in that minute, somebody was on the radio bloviating about this idea that the Buffalo Bills are stupid for having passed on Patrick Mahomes. Have you all lost your minds? Chris, what do you think? Well, on that, uh, I don't agree with that. that We should have drafted Mahomes because we don't have Andy Reid. We don't have the skill players that they do. And most importantly... Uh, anybody that says that, they automatically assume that coaching means nothing. Because you just assume Mahomes can do what he's doing in Kansas City and do it in Buffalo with a different coaching staff. I mean, Chris, I would understand if we were here talking about how E.J. Manuel was a flop. But Geno Smith won a Super Bowl with the New York Jets. Okay, I could agree with you that passing on him was a mistake. I could even see it if you wanted to make the argument with me that not drafting Russell Wilson when we traded up to get TJ Graham, a wide receiver that no one has seen or heard from ever since he wore a Bills uniform. Now that Russell Wilson's gone on to win a Super Bowl. (laughs) Chris. But this, this is the hill that Bills fans are choosing to die on. The situation for the two teams couldn't be more different. Let me walk you through this. Oh, just a quick uh, Google update here. Uh, TJ Graham plays for the Montreal Alouettes. Oh, good. Oh, good. He's in Montreal. You know, where all world-breaking wide receivers go to die. Wasn't that where T.O. went? Uh, I think he got (laughs) offered to go to Canada. Oh, Jesus. The situation couldn't be more different. First of all, you're talking about a team, perennial playoff contender, who has Alex Smith on the roster, yet they see the end of his contract coming and say, well, we really don't think Alex Smith's a Super Bowl quarterback, and we're not going to pay him that next chunk of money he's looking for. But we also don't want to be left with no options. So they trade up and take what they think is the best quarterback in a flawed quarterback draft. Because in their minds, well, that gives us a year to learn him as a player and Andy Reid to try to tool an offense to him. It also gives him a year to just work with real coaches on his mechanics. Then you're talking about a team that invested millions of dollars and a ton of draft capital in a wide receiver and tight end core. I mean, you've got Travis Kelsey, Probably one of the, I would say, second best tight end 
Agreed. As a receiver in the NFL. You're talking about a Sammy Watkins that you just went out and paid $30 million. A Tyreek Hill that you drafted. A Chris Conley that you went out and got. You you have weapons at the wide receiver position at the receiving positions. You went out and got them. You made sure that you had somebody out there for your quarterback to throw to. Because you were already a successful franchise. You also had already developed an offensive line. You're, the, the Chiefs starting left tackle, Eric Fisher, makes more money at $11 million a year than our entire offensive line combined. All of them. This is the line that paved the way for rookie Kareem Hunt last year to lead the NFL in rushing. There are no slouches up front. They made the playoffs. They won their division. They hosted a home game last year. And then you have an offensive-minded head coach. You're talking about a team whose defense is currently ranked 25th in scoring and 32nd in yards allowed, and yet they're 4-0. Why? Because their offense is so potent that they can score and score and score. And there's no end to the scoring that goes on. I mean, Chris, they were down. They were, they were down, down on the Monday fo- night. Yeah, they were down on the fourth quarter, I think, like but 10 points. But they score, and they score, and they score. And they win football games. Not because their defense is great. I mean, Case Keenum could have won the game on the final second-to-last throw, and he didn't. But it's because their offense puts them in a position for their defense to just be mediocre at best and still win football games, much like the Patriots have done year after year after year. And then you think about Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Offensive genius. Offensive guru. Genius. He's the man who made Alex Smith what he was. Alex Smith was a nobody. I give Jim Harbaugh some credit. He was a number one overall pick in the draft. He was terrible. Offensive coordinator after offensive coordinator after offensive coordinator. There's, You know, everyone says, oh, well, his career was ruined because of all the OCs. Maybe he's the one who got them fired because he didn't have as much talent as they thought he had. And they tried to develop game plans that didn't work around this quarterback. He went to the Chiefs, and he flourished ever since he got there. Ever since Alex Smith got to the Chiefs, he's been a new quarterback. That's the Andy Reid effect. So when you look at Patrick Mahomes, it's not a shock to believe that a mediocre quarterback could could rise to stardom. And then you think about it. His situation is perfect. Ours wasn't. He also came out of the Big 12. You mean to tell me that a head coach who's literally just got hired is in tr- Sean McDermott, who's trying to flesh out his own staff, much less pay attention to the draft. He's relying on Doug Whaley. Doug Whaley probably knows he's going to get fired at the end of this. And if he doesn't, then he's stupid because the writing was on the wall. You're preparing for a draft. You're a GM on your way out. This is a quarterback on his way, a head coach on his way in. Are either one of you going to take a risk on a quote-unquote heavily scouted quarterback from the Big 12 conference that's produced NFL studs? You know, that have put up just 
have been statistical monsters from the Big 12 Conference. You know, like RG3, Vince Young, Brandon Whedon, Josh Freeman, Chris, world beaters, right? A veritable who's who. I mean, to think any of this, it's lunacy. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I mean, Chris, it's just, it's incredible to me that we've come to a place as a fan base where we're constantly talking about the guy we didn't draft. I'm sick and tired of that narrative. You can do that for any fan base in the NFL if you try hard enough. No matter what your deficiencies are, you're always going to be looking at, oh, we could have had that guy. I'm sure there's plenty of teams out there who needed wide receivers who are looking at their teams going, why didn't we take Juju Smith-Schuster in the early second round? Why did we let him fall to the Steelers? It, it doesn't matter. You know, It's revisionist history. I mean, you want to talk about revisionist history, here's a little bit for you. What happens if the Bills do draft Patrick Mahomes? You're talking about a franchise that goes on to draft a quarterback at number 10 overall last year. They take him. Doug Whaley gets fired. They bring in a new GM, but he's saddled with a rookie quarterback on a cheap contract that he can't get rid of. So now he's looking at it in terms of, okay, well, I might as well try to build around this kid right now this second. We don't shed all of these contracts. We don't make the trades that we did. We don't, you know, we don't massage the roster the way that they did last year. And what we end up as is a 6-10 and 10 football team. You know, Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor doesn't start for us. He gets replaced by the rookie draft pick quarterback. So he doesn't net us a third-round draft pick from the Cleveland Browns. So we go into this draft with limited draft ammunition and another mediocre draft pick. And then we're looking at ourselves, hey, we've got a bloated cap. We've got all this cap just dead. We've got players on big contracts who aren't earning them. We have a giant decision to make on Sammy Watkins. We've, we didn't make the playoffs. Where are we? We're stuck in no man's land and we're no better off for it. That's where we would be if we had drafted Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. I mean, you can go back in time and try to make up your own narratives for anything. And that's why all these fans who are out there, I'm sure there's a bunch of you listening to this who firmly believe that it should have been the move. Please try to see reason or at least see it from my side and meet me in the middle. Yeah, because Drew's not going to see it from your side. Because <laughs> he don't believe that. I will never see that. <laughs> but hey, that's why I'm here. Chris, that's why I'm over here. Like Dice Clay. Andrew Dice Clay. Hey, I'm over here now. Yeah, I'm over here right now. Telling you from this side of the microphone, follow me down the path of reason when it comes to this whole Mahomes thing. And just, just, just stop. Just stop. In the words of Aaron Rodgers, relax, R-E-L-A-X. <laughs> the son of a bitch. Chris, we got to talk about it. You know we have to. Even though you don't want to break down this week's game, we, we got to do it for the listeners. Week four recap. Green Bay Packers 22, Buffalo Bills 0. Oh, God, that stings. Stats of the game. I promise you guys, there's a silver lining to all of this. You just got to follow me through it. 
you're gonna gain something here if you just continue listening to the podcast. I promise it's not all doom and gloom. Buffalo running backs, 11 carries, 39 yards. <laughs> wow. 11 carries, Chris. We were making fun of Minnesota last week for not carrying it more times than that. Well, yeah, Dalvin Cook was out. Three catches for 13 yards. Green Bay running backs, 27 carries, 110 yards. One touchdown, three catches for 73 yards. Aaron Rodgers, 22 of 40, almost a 50% completion percentage. 298, one touchdown, one pick, two sacks, and a 76.9 quarterback rating. Josh Allen, 16 of 33, 151 yards, two interceptions, seven sacks, 64 lost yards in total, a 36.3 quarterback rating. Charles Clay, Zay Jones, and Kelvin Benjamin, 19 targets, nine catches, and 112 yards. Everyone else on the offense, seven targets, three catches, 26 yards. Cornerback Ryan Lewis, eight tackles, two forced fumbles, and one dropped pick six. Chris, that was so close. It was incredibly close. And Corey, I'm going to butcher your last name, Bjorkwes. <laughs> eight punts, 348 yards, 43.5 yards per punt. And Steven Hauschka, one kickoff, that's it. He's <laughs> on the field one time. Oh, that guy earned his paycheck this week. Talk about talk about a lottery winner, Six folks. figures. I kicked the ball off. Done for the day. <laughs> oh, when you take a look at what this game was, there's a lot of places you could start to complain. This isn't so much a complaint as it is a critique. Quarterback Josh Allen. John Wayne finally met the Alamo. Remember last week when I made a uh, just a Western movie reference to Josh Allen and John Wayne in the same sentence and Chris had no idea what the hell I was talking about because he doesn't appreciate fine cinema? Correct. Still don't. This week, Josh Allen was no more Rooster Cogburn than he was John Wayne in the Alamo. And my problem with it all is that a lot of it might have been the fault of things we saw last week that worked. You can bitch all you want about Josh Allen's accuracy. Honestly, I'm not going to beat that horse anymore. Before the draft, I killed it. I dragged it off to the glue factory, and I sealed some envelopes with it. (laughs) that's just what it is it's a part of his game that's going to take continual coaching and a ton of work on his mechanics to ever try to improve which isn't going to happen in the first half of an NFL season it's just not if I have any complaint about Josh Allen this week and what he brought to the table on Sunday it's that it's this love of cowboy football I mean, that's the term that I'm kind of deeming it with. Yes, the offensive line has not been good this season. But there's an incredible number of instances where he just, Chris, he leaves a clean pocket at the first sign of pressure with no real need or reason to do so. Well, I would leave the pocket, too, based on our offensive line because they are shit, and I don't trust them. As soon as 
I think someone's going to uh, get by my O-line. I'm taking off. Well, See and, you later. But here's the thing. So as I stated, some of the things that worked last week got us killed this week. When you, just in the small amount of film that I was willing to go back and try to digest, because, I mean, it was <laughs> it was bad to try to watch the offense operate. Now, when you say digest, you mean like dip a cannoli in potato salad? Yeah, that happened. Rough. Folks, on Sunday, I thought my friend died. He came over with a thing of cannolis. And then he also came over with his bacon potato salad in a giant plastic container. But it looked like the chocolate chip kind of like, uh, I don't know, dip that they make for cannolis. So I took a cannoli, I dipped it in it, and it wasn't. It was potato salad, but I still fucking ate it because I'm a champion. Champions don't quit. There's no quit in me. You know what I'll say? There's, there's a lot of quit in it is our offensive coordinator because he allowed this to continue. When you're talking about the way Josh Allen operates, at the first sign of pressure, he was vacating the pocket where he could have just stepped up and continued keeping his eyes downfield. He'd roll out, usually to his right, turn his back to half of the field, and miss guys that were coming wide open. Chris, that's not a way for a successful offense to operate. You can't have that. You just can't. The thing I look back at and I think about, I, you know, halfway through the game, I'm going, why the fuck is he doing this? And then I think back to Minnesota and I go, holy shit. This was working against the Vikings. Whenever he got in trouble, he would scramble. And the Vikings' linebackers, especially Anthony Barr, had no idea how to respond. I mean, Chris, think about it. When a quarterback takes off out of the pocket, everybody at the second level has to pay attention to the moving guy with the ball in his hands. It freezes the guys at the second level, which opens up passing lanes. It opens up, it opens up lanes for all kinds of productivity from your running backs, your tight ends, which is what we saw last week. This week, they were ready for it. So when he scrambled, they just converged on him. They didn't give him a chance to run. And because he turned his back on half of the field, he had one or two options available to him. And more often than not, rather than throw it away, he just ate it and took the sack. Chris, it's him trying to play hero ball. Well, that's just it. The second level defenders, last week it worked. It froze everybody. You shocked the world. Everything was great. This week, when they saw it coming, because you already put it out there on tape. I mean, this is the NFL. When you do that, people will people will see it and they'll react to it. He got crucified. I mean, it's it's terrible. And then you think about that interception. The interception before halftime. You took a potential field goal off the board in a game where your team scored zero points. But I'm not even mad about that. I'm not mad. I'm not mad about the shutout, okay? I don't want people to think, oh, well, we got shut out and now Drew's bitching. No. What I'm mad about, I'm not mad that we didn't get points. It's that as a starting quarterback in the NFL, you have to know that you can't throw the ball across your body. And you sure as hell can't throw the ball across your body while you're being hit. If you try to do so, you will throw the NFL's prettiest rainbow passes to every defensive back in the NFL. I mean, that's what we saw. Jair Alexander had no problem picking that thing off in the end zone, Chris. That was there. I saw it. It was a horrible throw. 
You know, I just put my hands over my face when I saw him let it go because I'm like, there it is. And then I heard everybody else in the room just groan. And I was like, there it is. He got picked off because it's like a Madden play. You don't throw that ball. You don't do it. And yet, Josh Allen did. And as you heard in the intro, he understands that he can't do it, but he still wants to. So, I mean, what it is is that you look at what he brought to the game on Sunday. He failed to impact the game as a runner or as a passer. It's, And then, <laughs> let, me, let me give you some statistics. I know you're going to hate me for this. Josh Allen, he leads the NFL in not just sacks at 18 sacks on the season, but he's far and away the leader in yardage lost by sacks at 148 total yards. To put this in perspective as to why this bothers me so much, Deshaun Watson of the Houston Texans has been sacked 17 times. That's just one sack less than Josh Allen. But he's only lost his offense 84 yards of field position. But he's... <laughs> I mean, that, it's so close and yet so far away. That, more than anything, is indicative of a guy who isn't just getting sacked. He's getting sacked while running around trying to make something happen on plays where he shouldn't be. Simply put, shouldn't be. Throwing the ball away and knowing how to quit on a play that isn't going to work, that's not, I get it, it's not easy, but it's something that you as a starting quarterback in the NFL have to know. And it's, it, it's, not, just, it's not just not going to work, it's putting the entire offense behind the sticks. You are ruining everything the offense is trying to do whenever you do that. For his growth and development, those are two aspects of his games that they have to iron out. They, they have to find a way to fix this. He can't be trying to improvise on most downs just because he feels pressure. Just because the week before he trusts his athleticism over the mechanics of football and how to be an NFL quarterback from the pocket. And when things fall apart, he's got to learn that uh, contrary to every meme and Photoshop that's been flying around the internet all week long, He's going to be Clark Kent far more often than he's Superman. And so in that case, he needs to be a part of the offense and stop trying to be the offense. I mean, Chris, is that fair? 100% fair. He had to, that's what he had to do in college, so that's what he's used to. So he thinks he can do it in the NFL, and he can't. <sighs> but then I don't even blame him for all of it. Brian Dable, where, where is your head at? I'd like to know. Up Nick Saban's ass. <laughs> there are a lot of times, folks, when watching this offense is a lot like that scene from the Vince Vaughn movie Dodgeball, where they're all trying to learn those evasive maneuvers. <laughs> well, I think it's Rip Torn sits in a wheelchair and throws wrenches at them. This Sunday was like that scene where uh, that nerdy kid, uh, what's his name, Justin Long, catches a wrench right in the eye socket. <laughs> That's what this Sunday was like. You can like. dodge a ball. You can dodge a wrench. Oh. I mean, after the game, LaShawn McCoy was dumbfounded when he got asked by reporters why he only got to touch the ball eight times. His response, I'm going to quote it. I don't know. I know the plan was to get me the ball. 
that just underscores a question I feel like has to be asked. What the hell is our offensive coordinator doing? Chris, have I been critical of him before? Yeah, week two. You compared him to Dennison. I think I I think week two I didn't so much compare him to Dennison as I said that he should be fired like like Dennison should be fired out of a cannon like a clown at the circus across the parking lot at One Bills Drive. That was in the first half of the Chargers game. Think about the receiving stats I read to you earlier. The most useless players in our entire offense were targeted the most. And some of what was a product of the, some of that, it's a product of the defense. I mean, you see when you go back and watch the game after the fact, the Packers defensive coordinator, former Bills DC, Mike Pettin, he did his homework from last week and figured out that when Josh Allen goes off schedule and tries to make plays, it's usually to a tight end or a wide, a tight end or a running back. So they they did a lot of quarters coverage. They did a lot of sideline, short zone coverage. Took away all of those passing options and then played man on our wide receivers. Knowing that those wide receivers have no shot at getting individual separation. And Chris, look at the results. I mean, it's atrocious. It's atrocious. And it's it's almost indefensible. On the... (laughs) Just, there's no creativity. On the first possession, McCoy has nine yards in his first two touches. And then, we don't give him the ball for two straight drives. I don't understand it. Chris, oh, my God. He's our best player. Get him the ball. He's your best player on offense. Get him the ball. Swing passes off tackle. Well, I I think the most inexcusable part of all this is that our defense goes out there. We force a punt. We get the ball. We have to punt. Our defense forces another punt after you burned 13 whole seconds of clock. 13. Okay? We decide that from the six-yard line, in the shadow of our own goalposts, we're going to rip off three straight pass attempts. None of them are going to be off play action in an area of the field where the defense is expecting you to run the ball. No, no. You're going to line up in obvious passing formations. And you're going to throw the ball three straight times. And you're going to burn what, Chris? What did I say? 13 seconds. 13. And then you're going to put your defense back out there on the field so that they can get a touchdown driven down their throat. In all, the the passing attack in the first half had 58 total yards. Chris, we have a quarterback who's starting for us who threw 58 yards. You don't fail that badly. Without help. The offensive coordinator essentially set Josh Allen up to fail in this game. I mean, it's it's incredible. You can complain about the way Allen played. You can complain about all the things he did wrong. But at some point, you have to start pointing to the staff and asking for answers as to why in three of our games so far this season, we've implemented an offensive attack that plays to our weaknesses. Like... In the instance of the, hey, the 13-second or 54-second drives, where we're throwing the ball over and over again to guys like Zay Jones and guys like Kelvin Benjamin, who have proven that they're not on the same page as our quarterback and that they're not effective, but we keep trying to funnel the ball to them. Why? 
I, I don't know. I have no good answer for it. But they should. And the fact that they don't, and the fact that no one can explain to me why we're doing this, speaks volumes. <sighs> that being said, there is some silver linings to be seen on the defensive side of the ball. And I know it sounds crazy to say that, considering we lost 22 to nothing. So far in 2018, teams that hold their opponents to 22 points or less have a record of 40, 15, and 2. So it goes without saying, the defense did enough to at least have the team in the conversation for us to be winning the game. Had the offense not just puked all over itself like they were Eminem at the beginning of 8 Mile. I mean, that's what we looked like. We were just completely ineffective. Is that an album or a movie? <laughs> I hate you so oh my God. So, Chris, I want you to tell the people, when you look at the show notes that I sent you, what is it that you're looking at right now? I put this together myself. Uh, I see a chart, and it looks like a drive chart. And let's see here. The, the bills uh, on a couple of them are under one minute. <laughs> that Folks, I charted out every drive by the, number, by the number of seconds that they ran off the clock. In the first half, the Packers scored 17 of their 22 points. The time of possession disparity during that span is heavily noticeable. You're talking, the Packers had the ball for 19 minutes of the first 30, okay? With that said, you look at the first three possessions and you can see how this game got wildly out of hand. We kicked off to the Packers. They had the ball for four minutes and 20 seconds on their first possession. We forced a punt, and our defense goes off the field. The offense comes out and burns exactly 13 seconds of clock. The defense comes back out. The Packers have the ball for 2 minutes and 45 seconds. The drive ends in a touchdown. Buffalo's offense comes out and runs 4 minutes and 49 seconds of clock. Green Bay comes back out. 5 minutes and 22 seconds. They score a touchdown. Buffalo's offense takes the field and burns 54 seconds of clock and then punts. Green Bay gets the ball back. Then, then you have the Poyer interception. The Bills respond after the interception by burning a handful of plays and 54 seconds of clock. It's pathetic! Chris, that kind of ineffective offense. I mean, when you play a game against Aaron Rodgers, one surefire way to catch a shovel to the face is to keep feeding him the ball while at the same time gassing your defense and giving them no set, no time to regroup, to talk to their position coaches, to talk to anybody who's had a chance to look at some of the photos and try to dis or the video and try to decide what they're going to change on the ensuing drive. Chris, the offense set the defense up to fail. Monstrous. That, that seems about right. If you have three drives under one friggin' minute. At Bullshit. This, I mean, and I'm not going to say that the defense themselves didn't have any issues. The run defense was porous as hell in the first quarter. I mean, I have a note here on my phone, which I was writing as I'm watching the game, that just says, in all caps, this DL has no ass. The defensive line had no push against the run. And a part of me thinks that that had to be by design. 
because the way you watched them block, it was like they were trying to do almost the Tom Brady defense where, hey, we're going to try to pass rush and try to contain the OL, but we're still worried you're going to throw the ball, so we want everybody, as many bodies as we can get back in coverage. And with that, they ate us up in the early going in the run game. I, <laughs> I mean, it's just... When you consider the time of possession disparity early on, that combined with their willingness to run the ball probably has something to do with the lopsided score. But I also noticed that Kyle Williams, when he's out there, the guy just looks old. Chris, Kyle Williams is 35 years old. He's been through the meat grinder as an NFL defensive tackle. And at this stage in his career, you'd think he'd be on a pitch count. Should be. Instead, he's been playing over 60% of every single game. That's not good. No. No, it's not. I, I mean, this there has to be a change made here. Because our defensive tackles, I mean, Starr does well from one snap to the next. But consistently, he's not powerful enough to stop the run on his own. They'll double team him and just box him out of a play. And you'll see it happen. And then sometimes he can take that double team and he can hold it. But the, if the defensive tackle more, most often next to him is Kyle Williams, and Kyle Williams isn't holding his own, then that doesn't do anybody any good. I mean, I know Bills fans don't want to hear it, but this might be the end of the line for him. He may have to go as more of a rotational player, uh, you know, a guy who's just sprinkled into the defensive tackle rotation. That being said, they did a good job. And... When you look at it, Chris, the entire second half, the only reason I mean, you're talking about a defense that held the Patriots in uh, the Patriots, Jesus Christ, held the Packers in the second half to two field goals when they were dedicated to just running the ball, throwing off play action, trying to just confuse the defense. They really locked it down. I mean, the secondary early on, again, much like the run defense, noticeably fooled on crossing routes. And the Green Bay offense just, I mean, they looked to take advantage of cornerback Ryan Lewis, knowing he's new to the uh, new to the scheme, new to the team, not really that familiar with the guys around him. Early in the game, Rodgers went after Lewis constantly. Just You could see him pre-snap, trying to find out where Lewis was to kind of move wide receivers around and tight ends around. And early on, it worked. I mean, in the first half, he gave up a 25-yard pass to Devontae Adams, a seven-yard pass to Geronimo Allison, and a five-yard pass to tight end Jimmy Graham. But as the game wore on, a few force, he had two forced fumbles and almost a pick six. And after a while, Rodgers just stopped going after Lewis because he realized, oh, shit, I better knock You knock on the devil's door long enough, somebody's going to answer you, and this kid has my number all of a sudden. So he moved on and found different targets. That, Chris, is an impressive thing to me. When you as a player are willing to say, hey, I'm not that great, but I'm, I can improve as I see more of the game play out, enough to make an elite quarterback respect me as a threat on the defensive side of the ball. And then you look at Teron Johnson. He's really come on for the Bills. And that's an encouraging thing for us. He was solid against the run, which was something in the preseason, Chris. Do you remember me just 
just having a fit over how our second string and third string and fourth string defense couldn't tackle worth a damn. Yeah, that's a something you do every preseason. Well, yeah, but you'd expect that some of these guys, maybe they're not good in coverage, but as secondary players, you have to be able to tackle if you're going to play at the NFL level. Teron Johnson wasn't one of those guys in the preseason. Yet every week, he's gotten better and better and better. And I think Sunday was his best game in terms of run support, in terms of coverage. He was everywhere. It was it was incredible to me. And then you look at linebacker Trey Edmonds. Wasn't very good against the pass or the run in the first half. He was overrunning his gaps. He was doing all the things that we've said that he's been doing wrong. Settled down in that second half. Found a way to corral the Packers offense and kept them out of the end zone for the entire second half. The team as a whole on the defensive side of the ball really came together. That's encouraging. I mean, you think about it. It wasn't a standout performance by the defense. But it's better than anybody could have expected considering what we let Joe Flacco do to us. Joe Flacco hung 40. Phillip Rivers came in here. He hung 32. Then we went into Minnesota and surprised him. Now, having some defensive tape, the Green Bay Packers made adjustments and came out, and they only scored 22. The defense is improving week over week, and I like that. And if that's a silver, if that's the only silver lining I can take away from this game, well then, Chris, I'm going to take it. Hero of the game, Chris, who do you got? Stephen Hauschka. One play, nailed it. It's all he needed. <laughs> I consider putting Reed Ferguson in here because I didn't hear his name called at all, which means he did everything right. But I went with defensive back Ryan Lewis. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. For me, in a game like this where everything just goes to shit, Nothing works. Very few things are worth cheering about. Nothing makes me happier than watching a a new face, a guy who probably shouldn't mesh, and who gets beat up early on in a football game, say, you know what, fuck you guys. I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps, and I'm going to become an integral part of this defense. I'm going to make my presence felt, and he does. That's impressive to me. It shows balls. No? I mean, Chris, that's a balls performance. Yeah, he almost had that pick six, made a couple other decent plays. Probably the only bright spot on our, or most bright spot on our defense, rather. The zero of the game. I'm going to go ahead and give that to offensive coordinator Brian Dable. Hey, if you want me to take a dump in a box and mark it guaranteed, I will. You got shut out, pal. You got shut out, and the most electric playmaker on our team only got to touch the ball eight times. I'm sorry. You... I'm sorry, but uh, I think uh, there's a former senator out there who has uh, has exactly the right sentiment to wrap all this up. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Well, what a what a quarter of the season this has been. It's incredible to me. <laughs> We're already four weeks into the NFL season. And I feel like I've learned a little bit about the NFL as a whole. I mean, every year the NFL changes. Rule changes, teams change. You know, there's there's just there's a lot there, and then at the same time, there's the Bills. What if last year through four weeks we were three and one? Bills were shocking everybody. 
way ahead of expectations. So what have we learned about this year's Bills, Chris? I mean, that's what we're... we're, we're we learned gonna, that we suck. <laughs> we're going to get into that here. I want to start with the NFL. As a whole, the NFL, nobody knows what is and isn't roughing the passer. Josh Allen is taking sacks at a record pace not seen since David Carr of the Houston Texans. And yet, some of these shots that he's taken have been particularly rough. I'd say that. I'd say he's taken some hits that, eh, he's a big guy, but those are questionable. And I've not, I've yet to seen a fl- see a flag. Meanwhile, defensive players around the league have no idea how they're supposed to be trying to take down smaller quarterbacks like Aaron, like Aaron Rodgers or like Kirk Cousins, if you're Clay Matthews. Or, in fact, if you're any quarterback, Clay Matthews is touching. Usually, you get a flag on that play. I mean, there's defenders don't know what to do about hitting the quarterback without getting a flag. Through just four weeks of action, there have been 38 roughing the quarterback calls for a total of 484 yards. Consider that according to NFLPenalties.com, that makes it the eighth most popular call. It's been called more times than neutral zone infractions, delays of game, and just two instances shy of tying defensive offsides. I mean, Chris, is this just going to become a normal part of the game? Because it seems like it's up there with all of the normal calls that happen within the course of a football game. Yeah, we're not too far away from quarterbacks uh, either wearing red jerseys or having flags around their waist. I mean, it's Fucking ridiculous. This is football. I mean, I understand the idea for player safety. But defensive players, in my opinion, are completely within their right to bitch about this problem. It's absurd for a league to go this far to protect one player. When at the same time, it's okay for somebody like uh, Clinton Dix to blast Kelvin Benjamin in the face. (laughs) Like what we saw on Sunday, it's clear intentional contact. It doesn't matter whether it's with the helmet, whether it's with the shoulder. You meant to knock that guy the fuck out, and you did. You did. You succeeded. If you, And then on the same time, there's no flag for that. But if you roll inadvertently into a quarterback's legs and knock him down, there's going to be a flag because you hit the quarterback low. Chris, It's the most disingenuous fucking rule I've ever seen. You mean to tell me that you care about player safety, quote unquote, and yet you're going to flag this play, but guys are out there killing each other and it's okay. Quarterback's the most important position on the field. That's what gets the ratings, the money, the girls, everything. You protect your quarterback. I just, it's absurd to me. And I'm sorry. Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. That's a that, that's a that's something that's a sentiment that I hold in all facets of life. Don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. Don't tell me that this is a rule that's in place because of player safety when in reality it only helps 32 players. There's only 32 players who benefit from this. And yet no crew from one to the next knows how to properly call it. Nobody knows what it means. It shouldn't exist, and it's ruining the game of football. And then my other takeaway, rookie quarterbacks look a lot like rookie quarterbacks. Chris, 
This year's crop of quarterbacks was the talk of the entire 2017 season. Going to be the best since 04. You personally Mark sat, it down. You personally sat across from me most weeks, and every time the Bills won, you cursed them because you thought that they should be losing to try to tank for one of these top-tier quarterbacks. Yeah, we were so close to Darnold. <laughs> they were, they, they, they've been touted as possibly the best class since the 2004. You know, Rivers, Manning, and uh, Ben Roethlisberger. And the fan bases of the teams that drafted him wanted to see them all on the field as quickly as possible. But the thing you don't realize is you don't land a quarterback like that without being a shitty team. I mean, Chris, if we were a great football team, we wouldn't have squeaked in backwards into the playoffs. Yeah, correct. We needed help to get in the playoffs. Thank you. If you're a good football team, that doesn't happen. Right? Correct. Back to my Patrick Mahomes argument. The Chiefs saw a sweetheart opportunity, a team that wanted to sell its pick, their opportunity to still be a playoff team and bring in that rookie quarterback that they could groom to take over for the future. They are the outlier in this entire how-do-you-get-a-rookie-quarterback uh, scenario. When I look, This past weekend, all four recently drafted rookie quarterbacks started for their respective franchises, and the results were varied, but at the same time, none of these guys were enough to help their teams. Not a single one of the quarterbacks had more than a 55% completion percentage. The average was about 51. They combined for 13 sacks. I get it. Allen was more than half of those, but that means that the other three combined for six. They also combined for six turnovers, and one of those turnovers went back for a touchdown. It's too early to declare that this class is the class of 2011 instead of being the class of 2004. I'm not going to declare anybody a failure because it's too early in their careers. You're a handful of games in. But in total, these quarterbacks all have a combined record of 3-5, and and every one of them you really can't credit the quarterback for the win. I mean, I know Cleveland wanted to, you know, that Thursday night football game. When you're watching it, you're saying, well, Allen, not Allen, not Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield came in and took this game over. Well, he also got three turnovers from his defense. Okay? The Jets, in the singular game that they've won this season, where Sam Darnold was listed as Broadway Joe 2.0, The defense got four turnovers in that game. And Buffalo, in the one game we won, and fans wanted to anoint him as, ah, he's arrived. He's Cam Newton 2.0. He's amazing. The defense forced three turnovers on the opponent's side of the field. Chris, does that or does that not paint a picture of quarterbacks that need the team more than the team needs them? Well, you got to have some kind of weapons. I mean, if you look at, if you break down everyone's weapons, Baker Mayfield's got the best weapons. You got Hyde and Chubb and Landry and then other people. Who smoke pot. Oh, yeah. LeGarrette Blunt. <laughs> no, wrong guy. But yeah, the, uh, the Bills don't have great talent around Josh Allen. Jets don't have that with Sam Darnold. And then, uh, who am I missing? Rosen. Rosen's got Larry Fitzgerald, who was great six years ago. I mean, ultimately, it's going to be a long season. 
No one is expecting miracles from these guys. I mean, they're young kids. Um, <laughs> unless you're one of those Jets fans who was pounding the table week one. Ah, we're going to win the division. We're Super Bowl contenders. Look at how great our team is. Ah. <laughs> I'm almost thankful that our week one went the way it did because I think it set the table for realistic expectations. Each of these teams has significant rebuilding to do. And if you're bad enough to be taking a quarterback that high in the draft, Chris, your roster can't hold up. Ultimately, these guys are going to be judged based on their record at the end of the season. Pundits everywhere are going to have a lot to say. Through four weeks, these kids look like kids. They look like they should. They're flashing some potential here and there. Yet, none of them really has a complete game. It'll be interesting to see if they get there over the course of the next four to eight weeks. But I don't see it coming. I mean, Chris, out of all of them, who do you think is the most likely to take that next step first? Of the four quarterbacks, it's going to be Sam Darnold. Really? Yeah. Why, why do you think that? Because uh, I love him more than my own family. <laughs> I think he's going to be the best. That's why we have a Seagram's bet. Oh, Jesus. Folks, he's you, see the best. you see what I'm working with over here. So moving on to the Buffalo Bills. Through four weeks, the rankings that I have on the Bills right now, 31st in scoring, 32nd in passing yards, 23rd in rushing yards, 1st in sacks allowed, 26th in 3rd down percentage. I don't like ending things here with the podcast on a down note. I I just don't. So I want to get some of the challenges we've seen face the Bills out of the way since the discussion point. And if you don't like it, too fucking bad. Because you're all along for the ride. I mean, you downloaded this. I didn't make you do it. I'm I'm Captain Kirk on this ship, and Chris is my Mr. Spock. Although, I got to say, if he keeps buying that $20 fucking hairspray. It's not hairspray. Sea salt infused with kelp. Oh, my God. You say that again, you're demoted to Mr. Sulu. No idea what that is. (laughs) This is, I want to start this off with, this is something Sean McDermott had to say just today on how he feels about things so far and where the team is headed that set the world on fire. We're trying to develop a culture here. The culture, to me, trumps strategy. Uh, that's, that's what I believe in wholeheartedly. And, and it doesn't mean we have choir boys. It means we've got guys that love football and do the things the right way for the most part. And I, I understand that. We're trying to build something that does take time, but overall, um, guys got to be committed to um, the process. and. And that means staying mentally tough in moments like this where we start a season one and three and hasn't always been easy, right? But um, I've been through this before. I can tell them that. Those of us that have been around this league long enough have been through it before. If you do things the right way and you continue to build it the right way uh, for long-term success that you make the right decisions, uh, those things will take care of themselves. Sean McDermott, BuffaloBills.com, Wednesday press conference the first time he's ever said anything worthy of a soundbite since uh, he got hired in his uh, inaugural press conference. It was amazing. He said <laughs> something that I could cut out and we could use on the show. What's your take, Chris? It reminds me of when somebody said uh, humans aren't supposed to play football. That's what it reminded me of. <laughs> I remember listening. 
listening to the radio that morning when Doug Whaley said that. What this sounds like to me, and I understand why Bills fans might be taking umbrage to it. I get it. I get it. I understand why you might be pissed. Because you hear a coach saying that he doesn't give a shit about strategy. (laughs) He cares more about the foundation that he's laying. I get it. That being said, when you say that, you're almost giving your coordinators a pass. Now, you've heard me beat them up for the last 20 minutes, and you're about to hear a little bit more of it. (laughs) Because that's, I mean, I've got a lot of complaints. He's essentially saying, look, we're trying to build something here, and the results may not show it, but... We're building from the ground up, which we weren't doing last season. And the guys who are going to be here are going to show they want to be here, and the guys who aren't won't be. I I can see why people would be pissed to hear our coach say that. I'm upset about a lot of things. His quote isn't one of them, but I can see why people would be. And I think some of it feeds into what we're about to talk about because here are the challenges going against the team that I've identified over the first four weeks. The first one starts off with Josh Allen's learning curve and the ripple effect in the rest of the offense. I mean, Josh Allen's clearly a rookie. It's obvious. He's, he's got the strong arm. His physical abilities, without a doubt, the most, it, Chris, it's the most enticing part of his entire game. And it's the reason the Bills took him instead of Josh Rosen. Because if you were if you prioritized accuracy, Rosen would have been your pick going away. He's got the tools. He's got he's big, he's physical, he's a pocket quarter. He he can be the pocket quarterback as long as he learns to have a pocket presence. It's on the staff to develop him. They need to get him to a point where he starts to be less of an athlete playing quarterback and more of a quarterback who happens to be big and athletic. And in the meantime, let's go back to my stat about Deshaun Watson from earlier. The ripple effect that Allen's mistakes is having on this offense, I mean, there's no way to measure it. But imagine this, Chris. You're an offensive lineman. You know that you're not the greatest at your job. But you're out there. You're fighting your ass off. And on the few downs where you do do a good job, you do give Josh Allen a clean pocket to operate from. And he scrambles out and gets sacked for a six-yard loss anyway. What does that do to your morale? Uh, I would have no idea. I feel like (laughs) if I'm doing my job, why are you running, boy? Stay in the pocket. Well, that's the thing. Not only that, but then if you're a running back, now you're coming into the game and you're saying, well... I know I'm not seeing the ball because we had a shot at getting at least a – we had a shot at maybe seeing it, but now because we're behind the sticks, we have to throw, which just puts more pressure on the kid who doesn't need more pressure on him. Josh Allen is compounding his own his own problems. And at the same time, it's having an effect on the rest of the offense to the tune of, hey, we don't run the ball even though we're built to be a run-first offense. Why? Because we're constantly behind the sticks. In the few games where we haven't been behind the sticks, we've done all right. But they've been few and far between. This is what ha- this is something that has to change going forward. That being said, the rushing attack hasn't helped him. In the run-up to the start of the 2018 season, Chris, the prevailing theory was that whichever quarterback run the st- won the starting job, would have a chance to at least not blow the game. 
considering we were built to be a offense that ran the ball, I'd say 30 times a game. You think about it. All the games Tyrod Taylor ever won for us, he never threw the ball more than 25 times. Wait, Tyrod Taylor won us some games? <laughs> he got us enough, He got us into the... He is the reason, Chris, according to the national media, we made the playoffs. Uh, I don't think so. We were built to be a run-first offense, and we took a rookie quarterback who we knew had to work on his accuracy. We had a big wide receiver group that we knew wasn't going to generate natural separation. That's the reason we kept four tight ends on the roster, and we have this stable of talented running backs. So I'm sorry that I came into this season thinking we were going to be a good rushing offense. We knew the passing game was going to struggle, and instead, I, I mean, I, you're, you're not just struggle. I mean, if Macaulay Culkin was here and this was the movie Home Alone, he would go, Bills, your offense, woof, Jesus. This offense stinks on ice at times. And you would expect the ground game to do the heavy lifting, and instead we're putting ourselves in such a hole that through four games, our running backs are averaging just 17 and a quarter rushing attempts per game, compared to 30 and a quarter pass attempts. Of course, we're constantly throwing the ball. Yeah, because we're always behind. You can try to blame the lopsided scoreboard for a lot of that, But it's worth noting that even being ranked 19th in the NFL in attempts per game on the ground, there are five teams in the NFL that have far more yardage than the Bills and still rank fewer in attempts. It underscores the need for not just a bigger commitment to the run, but more effective running. So now, when I saw that, I dig a little deeper because that's what I do in my free time because I'm a nut job. I'm a freak. I'm Charlie Day with my, you know, <laughs> board. Have you ever seen the detective episode of Always Sunny where Charlie Day's trying to figure out the mystery and he's got all of the newspaper clippings and string and thumbtacks and he's hyperventilating constantly. So you're Charlie Day with yes. the same amount of illiteracy. Exactly. Can't read. Looking at statistics from football outsiders, Compared to the rushing chart from Pro Football uh, Pro Football Reference, a picture starts to form from one game to the next. In terms of stuffed runs, the Bills are eighth in the NFL. I mean, that's not something you would expect when you figure the fact that we haven't been able to run the ball well at all this season. You would think we were getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage, our line is getting no push. At the same time, you see their blocking ranking at the second level. You're talking about linemen getting out in space, getting off the line of scrimmage, getting on linebackers and defensive backs, opening up big lanes for... I mean, you think about, Chris, some of LaShawn McCoy's biggest runs as a Buffalo Bill have come when you have Richie Incognito sealing off a linebacker. Mm-hmm. Giving LaShawn I remember McCoy those days. a straight avenue to 15 to 20 to 30 to 40 yards once he hits the open field. That's not happening this year. We as an offensive line, no one's getting stuffed, quote-unquote. Instead, at the second level, we are last in the NFL in offensive linemen who make it to the second level and make successful blocks. Yeah, that seems about right. Our O-line is fucking terrible. And that's it. 
So there's linebackers free on every single rushing play who are just coming around and cleaning up our linebackers. There's, there's no room for them to operate. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not shocking then when you look at the charts and you look at our rushing statistics and you see how far down we are. So you've got a line that isn't moving past the defensive ends. Yeah, I mean, you, Chris, nothing's working. And then you look at the running chart by position. We are ranked 22nd or worse in the league, running at every spot across the offensive line except for one. Runs behind left tackle. When the Bills run behind Dawkins and Dawkins is engaged, they're third most productive in the NFL. So you can imagine my surprise to see that according to the rushing charts at Pro Football Reference, we've literally only attempted three all season. One run per game behind a guy who might be our most talented offensive lineman. You're f***ing Are you out of your mind? What are we doing? What is this? I mean, I get it. If you go on a play-by-play basis and you break down the film, you can find plenty of opportunities where Dawkins isn't doing... I mean, he's not an all-pro. He's not going to make a Pro Bowl. But when you run behind him and all you ask him to be pre-snap is a, is, is a blocker, he's pretty good. And the fact that we've only tried to do it three times? He's the only mainstay on this offensive line. The entirety of the interior has been rebuilt with mediocre players. And yet you're refusing to utilize the one guy who might help. I don't know who might bring some continuity to it. You refuse to run behind him. It, My God. Oh, so that's why when confronted with that information, I had to go on to the next, the next spot. Last thing I'm going to talk about as far as the downers of the early going of the Bills season. Both coordinators have had a horrific start. The Bills are leading the league in a lot of just unflattering statistics. And in the last three years, the Bills have never had a point differential this bad, regardless of win or loss uh, ratio. One coordinator's been shut out. The other got demoted in the middle of a game. Together, they're one in three. And unlike the other five teams in the NFL that are currently one in three, the Bills have the worst offense. So when you take all that and you ball it together and you try to stick, mash it like, Chris, if I was trying to make a snowball out of all the bad things and try to make them look like a good thing, this team isn't going to make some miraculous charge up the board. The way that, I mean, Chris, last year, Look at the Chargers. Because of their kicking problems and because of their defensive problems. Kicking. They gave up a ton of points. They couldn't close out games. And they started the season 0-3. Kicking is why they did not get in the playoffs. They missed out on a playoff spot by a game. That's all on the kicker. I don't put any of that on Joey Bosa. The Bills will not be that team this year. they, They just won't be. So any Bills fan out there hoping for this miraculous charge up the boards to be a playoff team, you need to temper your expectations because it's not coming. It's not coming. 
I mean, you're talking about a roster that's really limited with the talent that they have on hand. I get that. I mean, that's what happens when you eat $50 million worth of dead money. This is the team that you get handed. But at the same time, for all of the ire that gets poked at our offensive line and defensive line and our wide receiver core and the defensive front seven, I'm more critical of the guys calling the shots. And that's the reason why I just I, I can't put any specific defensive or offensive player outside of quarterback on this list. If you're doing your job as a coordinator, we wouldn't be in this position. Things wouldn't be this bad. We might not be winning, but we wouldn't be getting blown out this way. With that said, there are there's some positives here. There's some things you can take away from this and feel good about the first four weeks of the Bills season. They're there if you want to see them. First and foremost, there's youth that's really starting to contribute. I mean, I want to start with second-year linebacker Matt Milano. He's rounding into form as a true three-down linebacker. I, I, I mean, you can... <laughs> Chris, if the staff inexplicably wants to put in Ramon Humber, that's up to them. But Matt Milano is really coming on for this team. I don't even know Humber was still here. Right? Teron Johnson. He's held down the starting nickel cornerback position ever since training camp into the start of the season. And... Chris, you remember me screaming about how Johnson couldn't tackle, couldn't cover, couldn't do anything in the preseason. Guess what? He's actually making impact plays in both phases of the defense. Then you turn around and you look at uh, our rookie punter. (laughs) Corey, again, I'm going to butcher your name, Bjorkwes. He's number one in the NFL in punts inside the opponent's 20-yard line. Linebacker Trey Edmonds. Yes, he's had his struggles. But at the same time, he's every game showing why he was taken as one of the top linebackers in this draft. Chris, he's flying around. He's making plays. Even when he gives up plays, he's still making plays to make up for it. And and then you've got undrafted free agent wide receiver Robert Foster, who's proving that even as a guy who wasn't good enough to be picked, at six foot two, he's still capable of getting separation down the field. You just can't ca- I mean, the ball's not getting to him yet. I don't, whether it's his fault, whether it's Allen's fault. I mean, this is obviously a, re- a rebuilding year, Chris. Even though there's some people out there who might have us all think differently. Hey, Brandon! How dumb do you think I am? But it is nice to see that there's young guys stepping up and showing that when this team inevitably rounds to form, when we start spending money around them, when we, you know, as they gain more experience, there's a lot of guys young on rookie contracts who could become contributors long term to this team. And there's positives there if you want to see them. Again, another one of the silver linings: the defense is slowly improving. Week one, we got blown out by 40 points. And week two, we got blown out again. And then week three, everything seemed to go right for us. Turnovers, short fields for the offense to work with. And then they were great in coverage when the Vikings were trying to come back. Week four comes around. The offense doesn't execute at all. They gas the defense early. Touchdowns get scored. Then you go on to hold Aaron Rodgers out of the end zone in the entire second half of a football game. 
enough to piss him off and have him drop this on you. No, I'm happy. I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm excited to go home and have a have a scotch or two. But uh, I'm also a realist. So that's just not acceptable offense for us. 423 yards looks pretty good in comparison to some of the games we've uh, <clears throat> put forward the first three weeks. But uh, should have been about 45 points and about 600 yards. Aaron Rodgers from his post game presser on Sunday from Packers.com. I mean. This is a guy who's that confident in his offense, and you took him out of that game. You made it so that he couldn't do what he wanted to do. He's clearly pissed about it. I mean, I, I, whatever. You're Aaron Rodgers. You're going to get yours. You're probably going to beat a Buffalo Bills team that's struggling. But to hear him talk about how he thought he should have done better, and our defense, our, that's a feather in our defense's cap. It is. To know that you guys still did your job throughout the course of a game to keep that game close to where it's almost winnable. And then, Chris, there's the, obviously the fact that through four weeks, I haven't once heard during any broadcast or on any replay about the drought. But Chris, does that not bother you? Did, did that not bother you before when they used to take TV timeouts or the non-TV timeouts when CBS would play the montages of all the times when the Bills fucked up and just couldn't win and couldn't get to the playoffs and just lost right on the cusp of when it mattered? Not at all. You're an ass. It killed me inside. And I'm glad that I don't have to see that anymore. I mean, that's the other silver. I mean, that's one of the things from my season. So now looking forward through from weeks five through nine, what, what are we looking for? I guess the term is slow growth. Slow growth. For those of you who listen to the podcast and haven't met me personally, I used to be 348 pounds. I had an afro. I had shitty teeth. And I had a drinking problem. Now, I was about 19 years old. Fast forward 13 years, 14 years later, I'm 215 pounds, decent amount of muscle mass. I don't have an afro. I mean, albeit I do have shitty teeth, and I, according to Chris, I still probably have a drinking problem. And movies. Don't leave out your movies. <laughs> you got movies. Over the 12 years it took to get there, it wasn't always easy. There were growing pains along the way. There were pain points. And that's what you're going to see over the course of this season with the Buffalo Bills. They are the fat kid trying to become the not fat kid. That's what it is. And for those fat kids out there listening, I'm not making fun of you. I'm saying it's tough. It's tough sledding when you want to try to change who you are so drastically that it changes the very fiber of your being. It changes everything. Every, the way you are to a core. Having said that, there's some things specifically I'm going to be looking for from this team. And first of all, the offense. But the offense has time to rebound. Yes, we've been pummeled throughout the first four weeks. But I found something really interesting when I looked at last year's stats. The passing average for the Buffalo Bills this season, weeks one through four, 132.5 pound, uh, pounds, Jesus Christ, yards per game. 2017, our average from week one through four, 
was 171 and a half yards per game. And on the ground, this year, weeks one through four, we averaged 88.25, we'll call it, yards per game. Last season, last season, you're talking about 112 and a quarter. That's, Chris, if you take that all and put it together, the only difference in any phase of the game is 40 yards of average production. 80 total yards per game on each, in each phase of the game. And we're right at where we were last year on offense. That, I mean, the only difference between this year and last year is the, the slew of turnovers that were forced by the defense. I mean, we talked about it earlier when we talked about rookie quarterbacks winning their first game. The thing it seems to be accompanied by is defenses dominating their portion of the game. Well, that's what happened last year. Okay? We went to 3-1 and one based on the strength of the fact that we turned the ball over almost three times per game in each of our first four games. Whereas this year, the turnovers haven't materialized. Because teams have flat out tried to stay away from the playmakers on defense and instead have just thrown into space and let their their running backs, their tight ends, their wide receivers just run head first into our zone coverage. And it's worked to this point. It's kept teams relatively turnover free because they're not challenging our safeties deep. They're just not. It leads, it lends credence to the fact that the Bills were lucky rather than good last year. And, but then, Chris, there's as cheesy as this might sound, there's nowhere to go but up. I mean, I think that we have hit rock bottom on offense as a franchise. I don't know that it can get worse than it has been the first four weeks. Would you agree? No, this is the worst start to the season since, well, since last year. Or maybe the year before. Or maybe any year in the 17-year drought. <laughs> it's bad. This is bad. And this is what I wanted. With things to change on that side of the ball, the next group of people on my list, they've got some things to figure out. The coordinators have to get better at utilizing the personnel that they have on hand. It's no secret that our coordinators have done a pretty bad job collectively. I mean, on defense, Leslie Frazier, week one was his Waterloo. The guy came in a year removed from being a coordinator that took his team to the playoffs and allowed his opponent to score 40 points. I'm sorry, even in a blowout loss, 40 points. That's atrocious. And then... Halfway through the Chargers game, he gets relieved of his responsibilities by the head coach. I mean, I, Chris, is there a bigger insult? Like, what if your job walked out onto the production floor and said, you know what, Chris, go sit over there in the corner while I do your job? Uh, that would not happen because nobody can do my job where I work. Nobody is computer savvy with but, CNC machines. But it if it happen. did, how bad would you feel? I would just laugh. I mean, this is hilarious. No, no. What if someone genuinely came in and said, "I," and then they came and they proceeded to do your job better than you when they took it over from you? Would you feel bad? 
Yeah, I'd come up, sneak up behind him, put him in the million dollar dream, and take him out. <laughs> uh, and then at the same time, since he was benched, he's been better. Allowed six points uh, against Minnesota and 22 points to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And that's progress. Considering all the new faces he has on hand since last season. I mean, our secondary, there's a lot of guys who turned over. You know, everyone kept talking about, oh, what's his name? Johnson, uh, our, our nickelback from last year. E.J. Gaines is gone. There's a lot of guys who aren't here anymore. Vontae Davis, he's gone. <laughs> Here's the thing. It could get better if he just figures out how to better utilize the talent that he already has on hand. Here's some examples. One week removed from winning AFC Defensive Player of the Week honors, Matt Milano only saw 71% of the snaps at weak side linebacker. When asked why, all Frazier could say was, and I'm going to quote this straight off the article, Humber's a good football player. We want to be able to get him on the field at times. Obviously, Matt has made some, some plays for us, but we want to get Ramon out there too and take a look at him. Take a look at him? Chris, what? This is his second year with the team. Second full year. A year removed from when, I mean, last year you decided Milano was better than him down the stretch. That's why you gave Milano more snaps. Why are you still conceding snaps on the defensive side of the ball, especially in the red zone? To, to Humber. And taking Milano off the field. I mean, what is it that you need to see? Jesus Christ, Chris, I feel like this is the movie Tommy Boy. And I could give Leslie Frazier the line myself. You could stick your head up a bull's ass. I mean, what's the line? You could stick your head up a bull's ass and get a good hey, look at the T-bone? I, could, I could get a good look at a T-bone by sticking my head up a bull's ass. But wouldn't I rather take the butcher's word for it? Well, wouldn't Leslie Frazier rather take some drunk's word for it than, I don't know, sticking his head up his own ass by putting 31-year-old Ramon Humber out there and expecting him to do anything? Oh, what, he's going to be more athletic than he was when he was 30? I don't think so. It's stupid. Get him off the field. Kyle Williams, like I said earlier, pitch count, changing of the guard. He's clearly too old to play this many snaps. He's not effective anymore. Put him in a rotation, a deep rotation. I mean, maybe that's what the Jordan Phillips signing is all about. You know, we brought in defensive tackle Jordan Phillips, former second-round pick of the Miami Dolphins. We brought him in this week. Why? Maybe because they realize what we're realizing. Kyle Williams does not have it anymore. He can't bring it three downs in a row. He can't. So stop putting him out there that way and make him the rotational player he's meant to be. You just might stop the bleeding up front. And then, Teron Johnson. Really come on at nickel DB. Ryan Lewis seems to be finding his footing in this scheme. And Trey White is Trey White. When Philip Gaines comes back from his injury... I know that you thought he was better than Vontae Davis, but he was a ragdoll out there. He was abused constantly. You better not insert him back in the starting lineup. This is it. I want to see roster management from these offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators. On offense, I'm sorry, you ran the ball behind Deion Dawkins. I, I mean, it's 
Three times. Three times. Three times all season. It's incredible to me. If you can't figure out that that needs to change, or if you can't figure out that LaShawn McCoy needs more touches, then you don't deserve to be a coordinator. I expect that to change. What I'm watching for is to see if he will actively do it. I mean, I thought Rick Dennison could get his shit together, and he couldn't, and he got fired for it. If Brian Dable continues down the road that he's on, he'll get fired too. And go back to Alabama. So my point is I'm looking to see what we get from both of our coordinators over the course of the next few weeks. It's going to be really interesting. And then the final point is Allen. Can he stay in the pocket? Can he learn the nuances of being a pocket quarterback in the NFL? I mean, he's, he's proven it. He'll run. I mean, the Vikings found that out the hard way. He will run if you press him. But the other teams that are willing to just sit back in coverage and let him come to them, it doesn't end well. I I don't care about the team's record. What I care about is the fact that when you get pummeled early on in your career as a quarterback, when you're just taking hit after hit after hit, whether it's your fault, whether it's the Lions fault, your internal clock, as far as pressure goes, starts to shorten and your feet get happy. It ruined the career of J.P. Lawsman. It ruined the career of Trent Edwards. The team has to do better in front of him. But I think that can be helped with a good ground game, and that's on the coordinator. But I want to see that I'm passing downs. Allen's willing to stand in the pocket, and he's willing to operate as a part of the offense instead of trying to be the offense. Chris, that's going to dictate whether or not he can grow into a successful quarterback. In my mind. Yeah, we got to utilize the running game. You got Murphy, you got Ivory, you got McCoy. There's no reason you should be be running the ball constantly and don't give up on it early. If it's not working after your third third drive and the game's still close, keep running the ball. Keep trying to work on that run game. Don't give into it. Don't give up on it. No, not at all. And at the same time, when he's under center, he has to understand since they since he's their guy. He has to understand, look, I have to be a part of this offense. I can't be the engine yet. I'm not there in my career. So instead, I have to just be a cog in the machine. And as soon as he figures that out, I think he's really going to do better than he is currently. Chris, MVP and LVP through the first four weeks. Oh, without questions, Reed Ferguson. <laughs> dude, hasn't, dude hasn't done anything wrong yet. I'll give you that. I haven't heard his name mentioned once, which is a long snapper means that you've done everything correctly. I mean, he almost had the fumble recovery. He made a hilarious face during the attempt. It was awesome. Mine is Matt Milano. Guy I hated when we drafted him in the fifth round. I said it was a wasted pick. He's proving that he can be a three-down linebacker. I, I wish they would give him more snaps more of a chance to grow, more of a chance to play, because I think he, he, he there's more plays in him to make. I'm really impressed by the way he's come on, because right now, if you're talking about him and Edmonds being the starting inside linebackers, especially when they go to an over formation or when they go to a nickel formation, which is a lot of the time, he's the most, Milano's the most impactful player on the defense at that point. LVP through four weeks, Chris, can we both agree that it's wide receiver Kelvin Benjamin? Who's this man? No! 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 
It's 100% Calvin Benjamin. Dude's in a contract year, and he's not playing like he wants another contract, whether it's with us or with another team. With anybody. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. The guy has no concentration skills. He's dropping balls left and right. He got, he's been called out by the coaching staff twice in four weeks. Twice. What does that say for his long-term potential, his long-term future here in Buffalo? It's not good. And when other teams look at that and say, well, shit, Buffalo has no wide receivers, and they don't want this guy. Who's going to pay him top dollar? No one. Somebody, I mean, if it continues like it did from uh, this past offseason, somebody's going to pay him some money. I don't know. In the next four weeks, this guy needs to pick his shit up. Yeah. All of your shit, put it in a backpack, put it on your back, pick it up and carry it. I, I don't care. Get your shit together. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to look for in the next couple of weeks, and it's going to start on Sunday, New Era Field, 1 o'clock, Bills and Titans. It's supposed to be like 68 degrees. Boom. 50- 50% chance of rain. Ah. <laughs> Tennessee is favored by three and a half. And you guessed it. It's not only on locally in uh, Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, and all of Tennessee. It's on CBS, and you get Spiro Ditas and Adam Archuleta on the call. Folks, the Tennessee Titans are a hard team to figure out. They're three and one. But every win has been by a field goal. And... They've been impressive in terms of scoring at home. I mean, they just beat the Eagles. But they're averaging 14.5 points on the road. Until the Bills can establish an identity as a team, whether it's being studs on offense or being studs on defense or whether it's the linebacking core that won't let tight ends throw, whether I can figure out what the hell this team is, it's hard for me to scout for them. Or to scout their opponents, considering I have no idea what they're cap- where they're capable of winning or what matchups might favor them. So all I'm going to leave you with is this. Here's what I'm looking for personally on Sunday. First of all, LaShawn McCoy has to pace the offense. We've made it to this point in the season by not emphasizing the rushing attack, and it's gotten us killed every single fucking game. With an offensive line as bad as we are, and play calling as bad as ours has been, you can't really predict when we're going to have success. But the Titans gave up five and a half yards per carry last week to the Eagles. And they're missing Wesley Woodyard, who's going to be, who he is one of the better interior linebackers in football against the run. There is going to be room to operate if our offensive line can get off their asses and execute. You have to feed the ball to LaShawn McCoy if you want to have a shot at winning this football game. I'm going to be looking at Allen to operate from the pocket just to see how he reacts. Stop trying to play hero ball. Go out there. I mean, they have safety issues. You're talking about safeties that you know Kenny Vaccaro was their backup, and he just got hurt because Jonathan Cyprian was their starter, a former pro bowler, and he got hurt. So now they're they're into second they're into their third and fourth strings at safeties. There's going to be opportunities deep against this team. You have to be willing to stand in the pocket and wait for those to materialize. Don't scramble around. Stop turning your back on wide receivers. Step up, shift, play tennis in the pocket. That's what it is. You move your feet, you slide from side to side, forward, backwards. We've watched some of the greats do it. 
I'm not asking him to be one of the greats. I'm asking him to be average. Have average pocket presence, and this game could be a game. And then the last thing I'm looking for is the crowd. Week one, I, when I left my seat against the you know, week, well, what, technically week two, home opener against the yeah. Chargers. Well, you were mad at. The Chargers, we got down early, and the crowd was quiet. Yeah, and then you were mad at us. Well, I was just mad in And general. then you left after the second drive and hung out in the concourse, and we got in the truck and left at halftime. This week, I'm looking for the crowd to be live. Let's go. This is a team that sucks on the road. They don't score a lot. Let's make life tough for them. Be out there with me. Come join me in the stands. Be loud. Be proud. Make Scream your lungs out. Why not? That's what we're here for. That's what you pay for. I feel like when I walk into that stadium, I do feel like it's Gladiator, like I'm Maximus Aurelius. Just going, is this not why you are here? Get get loud. Get rowdy. Let them hear it. Because that's what it is. We're here to support the team and make life tough on the opponents. Our team is going to need that this Sunday. So be out there. Do your part. Hopefully we see you out there and hopefully you stop by the tailgate. 5330 Big Tree Road. Just look for the Charge Buffalo flag. There's going to be a link in this week's podcast in case you don't know what it looks like. Guys, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Power Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.